Good morning. I'm excited for us to be continuing in our generous series this morning. For the last couple of weeks, we've been going through a series on generosity and what it looks like to live a generous lifestyle. Um, last week, we, we talked about justice. The week before that, we talked about what it looks like to be generous with our finances. And now we come to talking about being generous with our time. And as we think about being generous with our time, I just want to stop and say thank you to all of our volunteers. And actually, if we could give them a hand. Um, I don't know if you know this, but we have... We have a team of people uh, that runs the lights and sounds, everything that you see up here. Um, the school doesn't let us keep this here all week long. Uh, we have to set it up and tear it down every week. And we have a very dedicated team of people that have been helping us do that. And uh, a lot of them have been doing it every Sunday since September. So imagine seven months of setting up and tearing down and setting up and tearing down. They're very faithful people. So we definitely appreciate them. And uh, if you want to be generous with your time, I'm sure they would appreciate that as well. Um, but the funny thing is that, that there's two areas of, of stewardship that when we talk about it, people tend to clench up just a little bit. Uh, and the first one of those is, is finances, right? Don't tell me how to spend my money. And, and the second one of those is time. Uh, for finances, if you, if you missed it, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon that Todd Hollybeck did on being generous with our treasure. Uh, it was a great message and, and very encouraging, great perspective on on how we can honor God and be a part of the work that he's doing through our treasure right now. Um, the second one of these is, uh, falls on me, which is our time. And, and I think a lot of the issue comes with most of us just don't feel like we have enough time, right? We always feel like we're running out of time. And so any time that we have left over, we say, man, I want to spend that on me. I need to relax. I need to sit down in front of the TV and veg out or read a book or take a nap. And, and that's my time. Don't try to tell me how to spend my time, right? Is anybody starting to feel that a little bit? Just be honest, right? Don't tell me how to spend my time. But God has a purpose for our time. God has uh, a plan for our time. And just like everything else, um, let me say this. Let me start by saying this again. We've said it every week so far. Generosity is something God wants for you and not from you. Generosity is something that God wants for you and not from you. And so when we talk about being generous with our time, it's not that God wants, um, wants this from you. He wants it for you. He wants you to be able to experience the abundant life that comes through understanding your purpose, your God-given purpose, uh, and, and fulfilling that by giving your time. Um, a couple of things that, that I just want to say again is uh, we tend to guard our time. You know, I kind of talked about this a little bit, but we, we guard our time for a couple of reasons. The first is that our time is limited, right? Everyone understands that our time is limited. How many of you wish you had just a few more hours in the day? I know that I do. Our time is limited. The second thing is this, that we can't store time away, right? Jim Croce sings, if I could store time in a bottle. Uh, well, you can't, Jim, so stop singing. Um, we can't save time in a bottle. We can't put it away. We only have what we've got. And the last thing to, to think about why we guard our time is that we can waste our time. Um, have you ever been doing something that, you know, you get engaged in Candy Crush Saga and, and you look up and it's like six hours later and you're like, oh man, I've been on Facebook for, for six hours. How did that happen? You know, I've been playing this video game. I've been, I've been you know, taking a nap for three hours when, when I've got stuff to do. Um, and it's real easy to let our time waste away. And to be honest, as I was putting this message together this week, uh, I don't know if this is God's sense of humor, but 
I, I literally ran out of time when it came to getting my message together and doing all the things that I normally have to do. There's a couple meetings that I have every month that some of them last all day, some of them last half a day, and they're usually not on the same week, which is great, but for some reason they all fell on the same week this week. And so I had a lot less time than I normally do to focus on stuff that still has to get done. And so I was really struggling with this and was I couldn't understand, like, what was going on, and I realized God was trying to teach me um, how to honor him with my time and how to trust him, right? Because I, I believe that uh, the biggest issue when it comes, you know, we talked about struggling with finances and struggling with time. I think the biggest issue is not, um, is not that we don't have enough money. It's not that we don't have enough time. It's that we don't have enough trust in God's sovereignty to trust him with our time, to trust him with our finances. And so I really want to encourage us to think through that and, and um, I was a little bit honest last week and, and shared that I struggle in the area of, of justice sometimes and mercy. And I'll be honest again this morning, just to let you know, your pastor is not perfect, um, nor do I ever claim to be. Um, but this is a big area of personal struggle for me. My, my personality tendency is um, that I'm going to work until everything that, that could possibly get done is done, um, which is not great when it comes to ministry because there's always one other person to help. There's always one other book to read. There's always uh, one other sermon to prepare, and it's a never-ending cycle. And so um, back in December, I was encouraged by another pastor who said, man, I want to encourage you to take stock of your time and just think through uh, where you're spending your time. He said, think of it as like a time budget. You know, you, you, when you sit down to do a budget with your finances, you don't start with where I want my money to go. You start by looking at where am I already spending my money, and then I think about where I want it to go and what adjustments do I need to make. And so I sat down, and I looked at my calendar, and this is, uh, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but um, on average, I was spending over 80 hours a week at work. Um, and that's, you know, you think ministry is a good thing. Helping people is a good thing. Studying the Word of God is a good thing. Uh, not at the expense of my family. Not at the expense of the people that God has placed in my life that I'm supposed to be reaching. And so I looked at that, and I, I, uh, I made some adjustments. I took email off my phone. Like, I don't get updates whenever, because I was stopping and, and emailing, and that was taking time. And um, I realized this. Um, how many of you care what time of day I write my sermon? Anybody? I didn't think so. Uh, my wife does probably a little bit more than anyone else, because if I'm in the middle of writing a sermon at dinner time, that's a problem. But if I get up at 5 o'clock and work on a sermon, she doesn't care. If I'm working on it at 11 o'clock at night when she's in bed, she doesn't care. So I realized that, hey, there's some stuff for my job that I can do that nobody cares when I do it as long as it gets done. And so I made some arrangements so that, uh, you know, there's certain things that have to get done. But there's a certain amount of time that, I'm, that my kids and my wife are awake and that I have opportunity to invest in the lives of others. And so I made, made my schedule around those things. And... Uh, I can tell you that it has been a tremendous blessing to be able to do that. So I want to encourage you to do that this week. Take stock of your time. Um, Write out a time budget. Look at where you're already spending your time. Think about how you might be able to rearrange your time around the things that God says really and truly matter. Uh, And let me just give you, uh, this wasn't in your notes because like I said, I, I ran out of time. We have to have our bulletins in by a certain time of the week and I ran out of time to uh, really invest in the, the message before that had to be done. And so the second half of the week, I was reading through stuff, and I was like, man, I really wish I'd put that in the notes, but it's not there. But let me just give you some biblical perspective on, on what really changed for me uh, as I started thinking through my time. 
The first thing is that I realized that Jesus lived at an interruptible pace. Jesus lived at an interruptible pace. You can write that in your notes. It's not in there, but you might want to write that down. You think about all that Jesus had to do. Like if anybody's schedule should have been filled 24 hours a day, it was Jesus, right? And he, could prob- he went 40 days in the desert without food, right? He could probably go 40 days without sleep. I'm imagining. He was fully God, fully man. He could have done it. If anybody could do it, it was him. If anybody could be fully devoted to, to work, it was probably Jesus, but he didn't do that. Right? Jesus lived at an interruptible pace, and he took time to rest. Jesus took time to rest. He took time to get away. Um, over and over again, I love the story where, where the dis- disciples are approached by moms who want Jesus to just touch and bless their babies. And the disciples are like, no, Jesus is too busy. He didn't have time for your kids. Um, but he says, no, let the children come to me. He says, I, interrupt me. It's okay. How many times is Jesus on his, on his way somewhere? He's on the road, and someone stops and says, can you come help my family member? Can you come help me? And Jesus stops. He lives at a very interruptible pace. So I want to encourage us to think about that. Is your life interruptible? Um, when your neighbor has a crisis, when your neighbor has, uh, needs help with something simple, hey, can you come help me move my kitchen table? Are you, do you say no, or do you say, yeah, I can, I can come do that. I can be interruptible. Uh, and here's the second thing that, that really hit me, is that Jesus didn't do everything people wanted him to do. Jesus didn't do everything people wanted him to do. Uh, a great example of that is with uh, Peter's mother-in-law. He goes to Capernaum. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, and, uh, and then it says that everyone from their surrounding area started bringing their sick and their lame. And they wanted Jesus to heal them. And then the very next passage, it says, And Jesus saw the crowds around him, and he told the disciples, It's time to go. Right? He says, Get in the boat. We're crossing to the other side. All these people bringing lame and sick for Jesus to heal. Could he have done it? Absolutely. But he says, you know what? I got to go. I can't do everything you want me to do. Multiple times you read that, that G- they brought all the lame and the sick and the demon-possessed to heal, and it says Jesus healed many. It doesn't say he healed them all. He healed many. So there's stuff that people want me to do, but I just can't do it. Like, uh, I just say no. I- I've learned that I've got to say no to certain things, and, and I want to encourage you, you have that freedom to say no to certain things. Um, you may ask me, you've probably experienced this. I know it's a frustration for some, but we've got something going on at the church, and you'll say, hey, Charlie, tell me about this. I'm like, I honestly don't know. I can tell you the day and the time, but I don't know any of the details because I'm, I'm just going to be there. Here's the person who's in charge of it. Um, you can get the details from them because I've decided I don't have to know everything, and I don't have to be in charge of everything. Um, and so I want to encourage you in your own life, what is it that, that you have to do? And, and this is what it really comes down to. John 17, 4, um, it, Jesus says, I've brought you glory on the earth by completing everything you gave me to do. Jesus didn't do it all, but he completed the work that God gave him to do. What is the work God has given you to do? Do that. Do that and no more, right? Do that and no more. What is the work God has given me to do? What can I cut out? All right, I'm going to keep going. That was, that was just kind of a side, uh, side note and just stuff that God really put on my heart towards the end of this week. And I really feel like it comes down to, back to that 17.4, is that Jesus knew that he had a purpose. Jesus knew that God had called him to a specific thing, to a specific purpose, right? And so he lived on mission all the time because that was his specific time. That was his specific purpose. Now I want us to look at Acts chapter 17. Verses 26 through 27. Acts chapter 17, verses 26 
through 27, because this verse, I believe, is going to put into perspective the reality that God has a specific purpose for your life. Let's look at it. It says, From one man, he, that is God, made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined and set, the, set for them uh, the times and, and exact places where they should live. God did this for a reason, so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. All right, so from this verse, what we see is this, that God appointed you, God appointed you to live in a specific time, uh, in a a specific circumstance for a specific purpose, right? You think about it. It's no coincidence that you were born into the, the time period that you were born into. It's no coincidence that you live in the house that you live in, and it's no coincidence that you have the job that you have, that you have the abilities, that you have the talents. It's because God created you for a specific time and purpose. Uh, when a man and I moved to Austin to be a part of the church planning process through Hill Country Bible Church, we didn't know where we were going to end up. Um, they called us and said, drive around Austin and figure it out for yourself where God's calling you. And so we did that um, for about three months. We had no idea where God wanted us to live. And so we were living with her dad in Cedar Park because it was close to the church. And every day at 526, because military time is 1726, so 526 every day we would stop and we'd pray Acts 26 and 27. Um, God, where do you want us to live? We know you've got a specific place that you've called us to live. Where is that? And he showed it to us. It was Georgetown. Uh, And so we began praying for our neighbors. God, you put us in this house for a reason. Who are the neighbors that you want us to reach? God has a specific time. He has a specific circumstance and a specific purpose that he's called you to for your life. He reveals that purpose to us. For those who've placed our trust in Christ as our Savior, he reveals that purpose to us in two ways. The first is the great commandment. Help me out. What is the great commandment? All right, love God and love people, right? So those are the two, those are the greatest commandment. They're combined into one. And does anybody remember the Great Commission? Very simply, it's make disciples, right? So our love for God and our love for people, um, that's what we're called to do. We're also called to make disciples. That is our purpose. That is our purpose for living. That is why God has put us uh, in the places that he has. And I'll tell you, the, the perfect place to start is with your family. Right? In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's not just a geographical, you know, hey, this is a simple way to do it. That's, that's a strategy, right? Jesus had a strategy. He's like, start where you are and go out from there. And so I want to encourage you, when it comes to where do I start making disciples, start with your family and move out from there. Move out to your neighbors, to your circle of influence. I like to talk about where we live, work, and play, right? Those, that's where we spend our time. We spend our time where we live, where we work, and where we play. Um, And it's our our understanding of the gospel in our own lives that's really going to compel us to love others and to spend time with them, right? It's when we understand our own need, just like we talked about before. It's when we understand our own brokenness and our own emptiness apart from Christ that we begin to understand that other people are in need of Jesus Christ as well. And that's going to be our motivation. That love for God and that love for people is our motivation to go out and make those disciples, which begins with seeing people place their trust in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to ask you to think back to uh, ninth grade algebra, okay? 
Some of you college guys, maybe I'll pick up on this faster. All right. How many of you remember uh, the principles of transitive property of equality? Anybody? Everybody. You don't remember that? Seriously? No, I don't either. Um, but I was thinking about it this week. So transitive property of equality says this. A equals B. B equals C. Therefore, A equals C, right? So this is what I was thinking about. Help me out with this. Time is, uh, excuse me, yeah, time is money. Money is power. Therefore, time is power, right? So time is power. And what is that power? What is the power of the gospel? The power of the gospel is love. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was love that, drove, that, that brought Jesus Christ to the point where he was willing to die on the cross, even though his flesh says, if there's any other way, let it be, but not my will, your will, God, that you could save all humanity through this. Right? It was love. And so that is the same power that we have. We have the power of that love. And that love is expressed through time. Love is expressed through time, right? If we're not spending time with people, how will they ever know that we love them? Um, so I want us to, to start by looking at our family. And uh, uh, we're going to go through this pretty quickly um, because we don't have a lot of time. That's a joke. Um, so when we think about our family, right, this is where it all starts. This is where I believe God calls us to start with our evangelism, to start with our reaching of others for the gospel. And uh, I want to say this. It's easy to think just about our children, right? It's easy to say just, I need to focus on my children. But let me tell you, your first responsibility if you're married is to your spouse, okay? Uh, we're going to talk about children a lot because I, I feel like, for most of us, that's where we need to be encouraged a little bit more. But let me tell you, if you're not focusing on your spouse, uh, if you're not giving your spouse next to God your, your priority, right? You've got God at the top, your spouse comes next. And your children can come after that. And let me tell you how important it is that your children see that they're not number one. Otherwise, you'll end up with spoiled little brats who feel like the world revolves around them, right? They need to know, look, God is first in my life. Your mother or your father is second in my life. And you guys come after that. We love you, but you need to know that there's an order here. And let me, let me just encourage you with this. God uses the picture of marriage uh, to describe the relationship between Christ and the church. And so if our marriage is out of order and our marriage isn't a great picture of what Christ and the church look like, what does that communicate to the world around us? What does that communicate to the world around us, right? We want to make sure that we're giving out the right image of what it looks like for husbands to love their wives, wives to submit to their husbands. Fathers, don't exasperate your children, right? We want to, we want to give a beautiful picture of that to the world, okay? Um, so just know that, that I think um, your spouse, Scripture clearly tells us that our spouse is, is our first priority in our family. Um, and we can talk more about that at another time. But for this morning, I just want us to focus on, on our kids for just a little bit because I think these principles, as we talk about them, you're going to see that they apply to other areas of our lives as well. We can take what we're saying about the family, so if you don't have kids, don't tune out. We can take what we're saying about the kids and apply that to our friends. We can apply that to our neighbors. We can apply that to our coworkers because the same thing is true to them. Um, so first thing I want to say is this, that there was a USA Today poll uh, that showed that on average, it shows the average amount of time that parents spend with their kids. 
And I got to be honest, I was very shocked by this in some regards. And then as I thought about it more, I was like, well, that's probably, that's probably pretty accurate. And this is what the poll said. On average, moms spend two hours a day in actively engaging their kids. And on average, dads spend one hour a day actively engaged with their kids. All right, so that's on average of a seven-day week. So you think about the eight hours a day that you're hanging out with them on Saturday and Sunday, and you average the other five days of the week in there. What does that tell you what's happening on Monday through Friday? Not a lot. Not a lot, right? And here's, here's the, the other thing that gets me is that on leisure time, like TV, social, uh, hanging out with friends, social stuff, exercise, games, hobbies, uh, the average for moms was three hours a day, and the average for dads was four hours a day. Compare that to the time that they're spending with their kids, right? The, you only have a certain amount of time to influence your kids to be the primary influencer in their lives. And if you're not making that time investment, then there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And, and again, this is an average. So this is not across the board. This is, uh, there are different life, life circumstances. I understand there are single moms. Um, there are single dads. There are, there are dads whose work require them to travel a lot. You know, they may have um, two weeks out in the oil field, and they're back for two weeks. So this is just on average, uh, and it's not across the board. But, but that's shocking, isn't it? And it, when you get to teenagers... The average amount of time parents spend with their teenagers every day is 18 to 30 minutes a day. 18 to 30 minutes a day. Um, there's this video that I love. It's a great reminder to me of uh, the importance of spending time with my kids. So I hope you guys enjoy this little clip here. Daddy, would you play ball with me? Sorry, honey. I got a lot of work to do, Okay. Cats in the cradle in the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you come home, I don't know when. Okay. All right, so you've got this little kid wants to play with daddy, and daddy says, I gotta work. And she starts singing Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon, Little Boy Blue and the Man on the Moon. That would get me, right? And, uh, Again, I'm just going to be honest with you this week. I was in the middle of putting my sermon together, and I was like, oh, man, this would be a great clip. And uh, my kids were in the other room about to have lunch. And I was like, you know what? I need, to stop. I need to stop what I'm doing and go have lunch with my kids. Um, this is going to get done. They're only awake for about another hour before they take a nap, and I've got three hours of quiet time that I can get this done. Uh, so I stopped what I was doing. I went and I had lunch with them, and I don't, I don't regret it. Um, you might. You might say, well, you should have spent a little more time on your sermon. But uh, <laughs> I don't regret it at all. I don't regret it at all. And I know that it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay off in the long run. Um, so there's this app that, that I found out about this past week. And it's called the Legacy app. And I want to encourage every one of you, if you have kids, um, download this little app. And it, it's just this little app for your phone. It's on Android and iPhone. But it tells you how many weeks you have left with your kids before they graduate high school. All right? Yeah, it's a little scary, isn't it? Uh, for my kids, we have 735 weeks left. Uh, that seems like a lot, but they're three years old. They've already been alive for 165 weeks, right? Uh, that puts things into perspective. If you have an eighth grader, 
you only have 160, about 160 weeks left before they graduate. What are you going to do with that time? What are you going to do with that time? Because here's the thing. Our children, our children form their views of the Heavenly Father from their earthly parents. Right? Our children form their views of the Heavenly Father from their earth, earthly parents. That's reality. Um, having been a youth pastor, I can tell you how many kids would come and sit in my office and say, I can't think of God as a Heavenly Father because of the way my dad treated me. Or where we were uh, at our last church, there were a lot of kids whose dads were in the house, um, but they weren't present. You know what I mean? Like dad was there, but he wasn't present. Uh, and so I had a lot of those conversations that God does care about you. I've, I've shared this quote before, but it's something that stuck with me from the time I was in college. Um, before this was a movie, it was a book, The Fight Club, right? And it's about this really guy, who, guy who's really messed up. And um, uh, one of the quotes that he says is that, that um, boys view their father as God, and if, if our father's bailed on us, what does that tell you about God, right? If our dads are going to bail on us, what does that tell you about God? So dads, it, it, I can't over or underestimate this uh, enough that it is important the time that you spend with your children, and mom's the exact same. And I want to encourage you in this, that there are opportunities to still serve in children's ministry, because um, if you're single, if you're an empty nester, you may say, well, my kids are off, or I don't have kids yet, or um, you know what, I've, I'm just not at that point in my life where I have kids, but there are kids who need you. Uh, there are kids that are in our Sunday school classes that men, men especially, they need a positive male role model. They need someone to model for them what it looks like to be a man who loves Jesus Christ and is unashamed of that, Right? Uh, there are single mothers here who could use some positive male influence on their kids. And as the church, that's why we have this body, so that we can do that, so that we can have that influence. But I just want to encourage you in that, that, um, man, our kids are looking to us to form their views of the Heavenly Father. And you know what? I, I want to encourage you, husbands, maybe your wife doesn't have a good picture of what it looked like to, to have a good earthly father, and you can, by the way you love her and the way you love your children, you can help her form a little bit more healthy view. And the other thing is, if you're here and you would say that's true for you, that I struggle to think of God as my father because of my relationship with my dad, know this, know this. God, your heavenly father, is perfect in every way that your earthly father is not. And I hope my kids will always remember that because I know that they're, as they grow up, they're going to see things in me that are not perfect. Um, and I want them to know that their Heavenly Father is. So you need to know that. Every single one of us makes mistakes. But your Heavenly Father is perfect and He loves you perfectly. The next thing I, I want to say is that um, our time spent with our family shapes their gospel perspective. Our time spent with our family shapes their gospel perspective. Right? If we're not giving them the, the time that they need, if we're not investing that time, if they're not feeling that love, what is that going to tell them about the gospel? Right? What is that going to tell them about the love of God, the love of Christ, if they don't see us making that investment in them, if we don't model that for them? I, I can't underestimate the importance of modeling uh, as believers, that we would model what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ 
not only to our children, but to our coworkers and to our neighbors. First uh, Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example even as I follow the example of Christ, is what Paul says. That's pretty powerful stuff to say. Um, and this is something that I thought through again, that Jesus spent all of his time on mission, right? Jesus didn't waste any of his time. Everything that he did was for purpose, was to complete a mission that God had given him, including the times of rest. Uh, and that brought to mind this verse, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. What is my calling? What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to be on mission. Whatever I'm doing, I'm supposed to be on mission. I'm supposed to be on mission to my wife. I'm supposed to be on mission to my children. I'm supposed to be on mission to my friends and my neighbors. And uh, now, this is where I want us to bridge this gap here, is that we, we need to think through where we live, work, and play as well. Uh, our family comes first, and all of these things that we've just said about the family, that, that they're forming their views of the Heavenly Father based on their experience with us, and that time spent with them is going to shape their gospel perspective. All of that carries over to your friends. All of that carries over to your neighbors, right? If they know you're a Christian, which hopefully they do, um, if they know that you're a Christian, if you've tried to talk to them about Jesus, yet you're too busy to spend time with them, you're too busy to, to talk to them, you're not setting a good example of the love of Jesus Christ, what is going to attract them? What is going to be compelling to them about the good news of Jesus Christ? So all of those things are true. And here's, here's how we can have an impact there. Think about where you live, work, and play. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. First, pray for them. Pray for them. Right? How are you going to pray for them unless you know their names? Do you guys all remember this? Right? We've pulled this out a couple of times. This is just a tool for you to get to know the names of your neighbors. How many of you could fill it out? How many of you could do all eight? Right? How many of you could do one or two? Just get to know their names. And as you get to know their name, find out what their needs are. Find out how you can be praying for them. So just be, first, get to know their name and pray for them. The second thing is, is simple. Eat with them. Looking out, I can see there's a couple of you guys that really like to eat. Um, that's simple, right? We all have to. We've all got to eat. I love to eat, um, especially when somebody else is cooking. But invite them over for a meal. Say, hey, we, we've got some hot dogs we're cooking out this Friday night. Why don't you all come over, bring your kids, and get to know them. Have them, have them ask questions about their background. Like, hey, where'd you grow up? Tell me more about your family. What do you do for a living? That's pretty simple. Can we all do that? Like, we've all done that before? We've all eaten. Uh, and here's, here's the last one. Uh, serve them. Find a way, very simple, just serve them. Whatever that is. Um, it could be something very simple, or it could be something they may have a big need that you say, I need to call on the rest of the church to come help serve this person. Here's what I want to challenge all of us to do. Um, you look at this and you probably think, okay, so I'm supposed to focus on my kids, and then I'm supposed to focus on my neighbors, I'm supposed to focus on the people at work. How in the world do I do that? They're not separate, right? They're integrated. They're integrated. Uh, when we left our last church, there were a lot of people that were concerned that, man, if you go to this, if you start a church, your kids aren't going to have VBS. They're not going to have Awana. They're not going to have this. They're not going to have that. And I said, you know what? Um, they may not have all those programs, but what they're going to get to see is mom and dad investing in the lives of people who are far from God and who need to hear about Jesus Christ. And that scares some people, I know that may scare some of you here, to think that, man, there might be someone in my house who uses language that, that we don't use, um, and that my, my kids might hear that. 
and Amanda and I have prayed through that, and we're not putting our kids in situations where, where we're saying, oh, yeah, you can talk that way. It's no problem. Um, but we know that that's a possibility, and we're prepared to use that as a teachable moment to say, look, you know mommy and daddy don't talk this way. I know you heard these things, and, and um, you just need to understand that mommy and daddy don't talk this way because it doesn't really honor God. Um, and we're praying that this person would come to know God and that that would, that would change in their heart. Right, So we have prepared ourselves for that. And again, I feel like this comes down to a matter of God's sovereignty and whether or not you trust it. Do you trust God enough to say, you know what, my kids might be exposed to something that I, I really wish they wouldn't be exposed to, but I'm going to trust God enough that the investment, the time investment that I'm making in them is going to overcome that and that they're going to see that mom and dad are so radically different that's what's going to appeal to them more than anything else. And so our kids, uh, we occasionally, Easter, Valentine's Day, Christmas, Thanksgiving, we bake goods. I say we, I mean Amanda bakes goods for our neighbors. And we take them to our neighbors. And we put them in the kids' hands. They ring the doorbell. They knock on the door and they hand them to them. They're engaged in this process. Some of my best memories as a kid are serving with my mom and dad. I can remember Valentine's Day, 10 years old. Um, My dad was a deacon of the church. We took roses to every single widow in the church um, that he was assigned. And I went with him. I did that with him. I remember setting up and tearing down for VBS with my mom, um, even when I was in high school and I wasn't serving at VBS. I mean, I remember these things. It was important to me, and it shaped who I am. So don't think of these as separate. Think about how you can integrate them together. And here's the challenge, the last challenge that I want to give. We have a month before Easter. One month. Month of Sundays. I want to challenge each and every one of us to have a block party, um, either by ourselves on our own street, or if you've got other people at this church that live nearby, uh, have a block party. Get together with them and have a block party or with your community group. It could be your whole community group does one or two block parties in different neighborhoods. Just throw a party. It's real simple. You pull out a grill, you throw some hot dogs on, you have some beverages, brats and buns, and people come and they stand around and talk, and it's a great time. It's very simple. It doesn't cost much at all to do. So I want to encourage you to do that as a way to introduce yourselves to your neighbors. Get to know them. Get to know them. And uh, strive for this one thing. Look for one family that you connect with. One family. Out of everyone on your street, find one family that you can connect with and say, would you come to our house for a meal? Or can we get together for coffee? And then from there, you know, we've got April 12th coming up. There may be multiple people that you connect with and say, you know what, you should come serve with me. I know you've got a passion for, for serving um, uh, people. Why don't you come serve with me? And then, very simply, that's the week before Easter. Hey, you know what? A lot of those people that you met at the service project they're gonna, or at the block party, they're going to be at church with me on Easter Sunday. Why don't you come with us? Why don't you come with us? You ought to come. Everybody else is going somewhere. We'll get together for a meal afterwards. And then here's the most exciting part. Um, I can guarantee you that the gospel is going to be shared on Easter Sunday, right? And we're going to give people a chance to respond. And how simple is it to say, what do you think of what you just heard? And you get to engage them with the gospel. Very simply. Can you commit to that? If you'll commit to that, um, grab your connection card right now and just say, I will have a block party in the next four weeks, right, before Easter. Or just say, I will invite this person to Easter Sunday. Or I will invite this person to the service project. Right? Just write that in the, in the comments. Um, but for now, I just want to challenge us.
to think through, are we honoring God with our time? Are we being generous with our time? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for um, today, Lord, and we thank you that you have given us a specific time and place and purpose to live. Lord, I pray that you would be with us now as we, uh, as we go out into our world and we try to manage our time well, that we would honor you through that. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.